probably at Michael's funeral, and I'm amongst friends here, I know, because many of you people have been a support to, to him and to us through that time. That was a few years ago now, it's four years ago now. Time has gone by, but thank you for your fellowship in the gospel and that. But it's good to be able to bring the word of God to you. Now, I had no idea what Daniel's been up to, and it was interesting to find out this morning that he's been speaking about grace. One of those words that we use in the Christian vocabulary, but perhaps don't always understand exactly what we're talking about. What do we mean by grace? Now, Daniel's probably all gone through all of that with you. I've no idea what he said, so I hope I don't disagree with you this morning, Daniel. I was interested to find in your birthday greeting, you you said, um, shower graces on you. I thought, excellent, I agree with that. (laughs) God, who would shower graces on you. So what is a grace? Is it something that's uh, said very quickly before we dig in? Don't ask the pastor to say grace because he speaks long and the food goes cold. Is it unmerited favour? We've probably all heard that as a definition. Who heard that one before, unmerited favour? What's another one you've heard? Starts with a G, R, A, C, E. What does that one say? A little acronym for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Or we could define it very simply as divine help or divine enablement. Has anyone read uh, Nick Ripkin's book called The Insanity of God? Now, it's a weird title. You get to the end of the book and you'll understand why it's why he's written that way. Has anyone read that? I'll show you. If you see it in Kurong, grab it. It's an excellent read. Well, well and truly worth, worth the read. Very challenging. But I just want to share with you one of the stories that he dug out out of that. It's a collection of... It's a story from his own life, how God brought him into working with the suffering church, churches that have been through extreme difficulty in all sorts of different areas of the world. He himself ended up as a working in Mogadishu. And when he started there... Mogadishu, this is back in the time, if you saw that, that movie Black Hawk Down, I think it was called. Now at that time when the Americans came in, he'd already been there for a while. When he started there, when he got into Mogadishu, there was about a dozen Christians to be found anywhere in the place, but they dare not meet together or the Muslims would have killed them. This was really extremes in the, in the level of... Of persecution and then at one stage they finally found a place where they thought they could safely meet together somehow or other they got the word out and they met together to break bread next week they were all dead so after the months and the wonderful work that they'd done there there was less believers at the end than there was when they started terrible terrible things but anyway out of all of that and the difficulties in their own lives, losing their own son while they were there ministering, all of these things happened. And then, he, and then he went, after a time of recuperation, get his life back together, he went off and he went to different parts of the world researching how God protected, how God could keep people in such difficult places. And so in the chapter called Refusing to be Silenced comes this story. Nick was off interviewing these believers, and he records Stoyans, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. Does anyone know how to say it? S-T-O-Y-A-N. It's an Eastern European name. I'm, I'm going to call it Stoyan. Is that right? 
That'll do. <laughs> Stoyan was a young teenager in an Eastern European country at the end of World War II. Communists were on the move. Power was going their way and control soon moved to a communist government. His father was a Protestant pastor and he rapidly got himself into strife and was imprisoned by this God-hating government that had come to power. The secret police guards endeavoured to break the believers. They had places where they gave them a tr tremendously hard time. Every morning his breakfast was a single slice of toast, but they topped it with excrement. That was the sort of pressure they were under. And after nine months of this, he finally, finally a first message arrived at his family's to, to tell them that that's the first time they've been able to get any message out at all after nine months. He was going to be transferred. Transferred off to a distant labour camp, Gulag. So one hour visit was allowed at the torture facility before the transfer. The mother and at least Stoyan, and there was two, two or three other boys as well, came. But amongst the rush of all the others trying to catch up with their families, they could not find their father. He wasn't to be seen anywhere. But as the time was closing, the hour was nearly up. Another prisoner came in carrying a bundle of rags into the visits room and he laid that bundle carefully on a table in front of them and they could see the blue eyes that was their father. The husband, only a skeleton of a man remained after those nine months. And like that, he was transferred to the gulag. Late at night, soon after that, the police came knocking at the door and ordered the mother and four boys to pack, gave them one hour and put them on the midnight train to that same destination. It was a gypsy town in the far extent of, of the country. The boys were in tears, in fear. The mother reassures them, God will look after us, and sung them a hymn of faith as they, as they travelled on that train. My grace is sufficient for you. You've been thinking about that verse, I'm sure, God says to Paul. She tried to teach those boys that. My grace is sufficient for you, even in these terrible times. So after their long journey, they go to disembark in this unknown poor town on the far extremes of the country. They get off and they're huddled together as a little family group and a man approaches them from the station. He says, are you the pastor's family? And she looks at him and says, how would anyone know that? He says to her, last night our church was at prayer. The Holy Spirit told us to take up an offering and to bring it to you on this train. They didn't know they were coming. The Holy Spirit just sent them. Now that's a miracle and a miracle of grace in itself. God showering his graces upon them, God providing in a, in a way. But over these next nine years, they would get just two visits of one hour with their father as he was in that prison camp. But then the end came suddenly. The pastor was tied to a pole. The guards stood round, guns in hand, and demanded, deny your faith or die. He stood tall and declared, I will not deny my Christ. The guards were furious, but they didn't actually have permission to shoot him. So what did they do? Dragged him to the, to the wall, opened the gate and threw him out. He was free. How did... <laughs> Nobody understood why, but he was out. And 
he must have regained his strength to some extent and he stumbled around and eventually found the family home where the family was living but there was nobody home. So then he went and he found the church and they were all at prayer in the church for, for him. <laughs> yeah. Months later, here he is in ministry again already. An elderly woman from the church there asked the pastor for help. Her diabetic son was in serious trouble. He's now blind, he's close to death and he's in agonising pain, tremendously difficult no help to be found. As a believer, she could not access medicine. All these things were denied them. Could the pastor help? Now, was anything too hard for the Lord? The pastor did find help. And somehow or other, he got pain medication to this lady. Well, he took, took the medication to her apartment. Grateful she was. Indeed, grateful. Please come in. Come and meet my son and pray for him. So the the blind, dying man was there and as he came in he saw something terrible, something which was immensely difficult to him. Guess who that blind, dying man was? He was the one who had spread his toast every morning. There he is. He breathes a quick prayer to his Lord. Lord, don't let me fail you now. Pastor silently prayed, and without giving himself the uh, giving himself away to the man lying in the bed, the pastor in his in his heart he granted to that vile man forgiveness. How would you be? Can you find grace in your heart to be able to forgive somebody like that? Then he helped that old lady administer the pain meds and prayed for the sick son who had been his tormentor. And he returned home overwhelmed by the grace of God. God had given him grace to do something which he just could not do on his own, something which was impossible for him to be able to forgive a man that had been so vile toward him. How do we define grace? Is it unmerited favour? Indeed it is. It's undeserved, given to us freely from our Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God given freely to us. God's riches come at Christ's expense. Grace, G-R, God's riches at Christ's expense. There's that little acronym. Riches poured out on undeserving sinners like us. That's the most wonderful view of, the, of grace seen in the gospel of our Lord. It's the mountain of grace. If we're going to look at grace and we look back at our lives, we see salvation is just the overwhelming mountain that dominates the grace of God within our lives. And some believers believe that this mountain alone defines grace. Maybe you're like that today and you see grace only in salvation. That's certainly a, the enormity of grace is seen there. Is there further grace continuing on if we see beyond that mountain of salvation to the plains which go beyond, the rivers which go down to the sea are all, as we go through life, rivers of grace, plains of grace, a sea of grace that comes to us day by day as, we, as he showers grace upon us, as we sang earlier on. 
the pastor in the story we talked about was confronted with an extreme situation and he quickly sought God's help and found grace to help in a time of need. Divine help came. Beyond the wonder of his own salvation, he found God enabling him to forgive the unforgivable. Not something he could have done without divine help. He under, his understanding of grace was bigger and broader than just salvation. Salvation, the grace is poured out. But still it goes on beyond throughout our lives as believers. Grace, grace and more grace comes from our Saviour. Divine help or divine enablement in whatever form God lavishes upon us through our lives. See this broader grace mentioned again by Paul. You remember Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We're not told what it was. But what did he do? He prayed how many times? Three times he prayed, Lord, that this thing would be taken away. And what did God say to him? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. It's sufficient. My strength is made perfect in... Yeah, when you can't do it yourself, that's when God's strong. My strength is made perfect in weakness. We will see other instances of... New Testament grace as we go on in the scriptures that we look at. Grace not solely related to the wonder of salvation, but to everyday living of our Christian life. So I think a better definition which encompasses all is simply divine help, a really simple definition for grace or divine enablement. Here's a verse which defines grace without saying the word. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God working in you, working out his plan in you, pouring his grace through your life for his will and pleasure. How do we quantify grace? Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. How big was God's grace the day he paid for our sins? The day he forgave us. The day we were born again. That's a mountain of grace poured out into our lives. But how many truckloads of grace are promised? As we look at, there's a wonderful verse. This is one particularly I want us to learn today. And if, if you can, yes, indeed, learn it. Oh, look, I've been trying to learn memory verses. Who finds memory verses hard to learn, particularly as we get older? It's a real struggle trying to get stuff to stick. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. If you've got your scripture there, turn it up and look at this one. And God is able to make all grace. How much grace? All grace, there's truckloads of grace available, abounding toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, how many alls was that? I think there's four of them there all together if you count always. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Overflowing grace. It's pouring over. God has given us grace enough for every situation, even to forgive the vilest oppressor in the story that we had before. Wonderful grace of Jesus. Do you know that song? Wonderful grace of Jesus. 
reaching the most defiled. <laughs> I won't sing anymore. <laughs> Not many of you are recognising that it's all sufficient grace, enough for every situation. I listened to a preacher talking about this verse, 2 Corinthians 9.8. It, he, he, it was reflecting it back on the showers back when he was in seminary. Now, Daniel's sort of going through seminary, but you don't have to have, live in a shower block with a thousand other students, do you? But do you remember you went to a campsite somewhere or maybe a caravan park and you got your shower just right and you were finally enjoying it and somebody came alongside of you and the next one along and turned on the cold and you, oh, that's hot! Or they turn on the hot and yours all of a sudden turns to iced water. All sufficient grace keeps things just right. All sufficient. God is able to work things out in your life. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Memorise this. We'll say it a few times as we go. So that all things... In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now that's from NIV. It says the same thing. How long is grace? How long has grace been enduring? I found this interesting verse. It's talking about God who has, this from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, when? Before time began. Grace given in Christ Jesus before time began. How long will grace endure? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. How does the song finish off? We've no less days to sing God's grace than when we first began. It will be the song of eternity as we look at all that God has done. See God's grace in practice. In Psalm 78, it reminds us that God sent rained down manna on them to eat, and he gave of them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food, he sent them food to the full. Manna is a, uh, struck me as a good picture of grace. What is there about manna? It came, when did it come? Every morning. Every morning they found it on the ground, apart from on Saturday morning, on the, on the Lord's Day. There it was on the ground, and when the layer of dew lifted, from you can read up about it in Exodus 16, this is verse 14. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. It was fresh every day. Grace available every day, sufficient for our needs. It was, was it good? Was manna good? What did it, what did it taste like? Can you remember? Come on, guys. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey and it was described as in that verse we just read earlier on it was angels food men ate angels food he sent them food to the full it was good stuff sent from heaven and it was sufficient grace the children of Israel did so so they went out every morning and they gathered some gathered more (laughs) you know we've seen people that can't resist look at my shed it looks like I've been gathering more so you've got loads of junk in there. But some people couldn't resist gathering more and more and more. And other people thought, oh no, I won't take too much because other people might not have enough. But at the end of the day, those who gathered much had nothing left over. 
And those who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered according to each one's need. There's enough for all and always enough. Everybody had enough. There's enough grace. You can't run God short of grace. How much grace does our Father in heaven have? And there's grace for today's need. Exodus 16, 19. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. They didn't listen. No, we're going to keep some over because it might not be there tomorrow. Some of them left part of it until the next morning. And what happened? It went off. It did worse than that. It bred worms and it stank. (laughs) Uh, Grace in practice. How do we fit grace into our daily lives? I can do how much? All things through Christ who strengthens me. That's his grace coming to us fresh every day. There it is every morning. In 2 Corinthians 12, 19, verse 9, sorry. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Yes, when we come to the end of ourselves, God's grace is there in truckloads. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He's all sufficient for our every need. John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. By grace, we can bear fruit. John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. His care is his grace toward us as well. 1 Corinthians 10.13, God is faithful and not allow you to be tempted. Can anyone say that one for me? It's a pretty common one to know. Sorry, I didn't get... Can't see who's talking with me. God is faithful and not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's God's grace, a way of escape, that you might be able to bear it, no matter what you're going through. His grace is sufficient. 1 John 2, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yes, the greatest lawyer that ever there was, the one who stands between us and God. He says, I paid for you. But of him, 1 Corinthians 1.30, of him are you in Christ who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Anything you need is found in God. That's his grace toward us. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. His grace toward us. You know, we need God's help in every area of our life. And that's what all those verses are about, really. It's just to point out that we need God everywhere, no matter where we are in life and whatever our needs are, we need God's help in it. In ministry or at work or at home, whatever it might be, we need God's grace. We need God's help, divine help. We all need it. Your life, has his grace been sufficient? Have you got some stories that you can tell? A testimony that says, yes, I've seen God at work in my life. I can look back and see 
Yes, God was here. You know, I stood behind this pulpit four years ago and I'd asked a few people for prayer because God had given me a word that I had to speak and speaking at your own son's funeral is not, not something that most of us would like to do. But God's grace was sufficient. God's grace was sufficient and was able to stand up here that day and to tell people of all that God had done for us in the lives of a small boy until he was 25. God's grace had been ever sufficient in Michael's life and in our lives through that time. How can I receive grace? How can you receive grace? James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Yes. Our self-sufficiency is often a problem, isn't it? To Paul, you remember that verse, we read it before. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness when we can't do it ourselves, when we've done away with the pride of being, ah, look, I can look after myself. This is typically our way in the West, in in Australia. I've got all that I need. What do I need God for? And I live in my pride and I don't need God. God gives grace to the humble, to the humble. We need him in our lives. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Let him be Lord. Let him be absolute boss in our lives. Bow before him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you know, God is searching the world over for treasure. If you look at 2 Chronicles 16.9, you'll find God searching for treasure. He's searching across the world. He's searching in the Andes. He's searching in Indonesia. He's searched in England. He searches in Australia. He searches in Alice Springs and he searches in Birdwood. What's he looking for? What's the thing which of most treasure to God? He's looking for someone that he can show his grace toward. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. That's his search. He's looking throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. He's wanting to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The one who is bowed before him, loyal to him. The one who is seeking first the kingdom of God. The one who is humble before him. He searches out believers with loyal hearts. Believers who say, God and God alone for me. I don't want the world. I want God. I want him first in my life. And on those, God shows himself strong. He pours out his help, divine help. He pours out grace into their lives. Dwight L. Moody, you'll probably remember this quote from Moody. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. There's a man fully consecrated to God and getting from God as he gives up all of himself, clings to God, God sees that man and to that one gives grace in bucket falls. The quote didn't actually come from Moody. I found when I looked at the internet, internet's got lots of resources, a fellow called Henry Varley was a British revivalist, never, never heard of him. I doubt whether any of you have either, have you? Henry Varley. 
But he befriended the young Moody back in Dublin in the 1870s. A year later, Moody's returned to England again and he, and he asked Varley, do you remember what you said to me last time I saw you? And how many of us can remember a conversation from yesterday or last year? <laughs> As we get a bit older, it gets harder and harder. Well, Henry says, oh, I remember us talking, but I don't remember anything special. Moody says, don't you remember saying, Moody, the world has yet to see what a man will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Well, not actually that sentence, says Henry. Ah, said Mr Moody, those words meant something to me. Those words sent, sent to my soul through you from the living God. And as I crossed the wide Atlantic, the boards of the ship deck were engraved with them. And when I reached Chicago, the very paving stones seemed to be marked with Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And under the power of those words, I've come back to England again and I felt that I must not let more time pass till I let you know how God has used your words to, the inmost, to my inmost soul. Moody endeavoured to be the man fully consecrated to God, the man that God would use, the man that God would pour out his grace in his ministry. Let God have the glory through his life. Yes, God makes all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Gives us grace, grace sufficient for every need. Here's a song that you probably don't know, but listen to the words. He gives us more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sends us new strength when the labours increase. In added afflictions, he grants us his rich mercy. In multiplied trials, his comforting peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he gives us his grace freely again and again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when strength has quite failed, when the task is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he gives his grace freely again and again. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for grace that you pour into our lives day by day. We thank you for the wonder of amazing grace when we were saved. We thank you that you sent your only begotten Son to be our Saviour, to pay our price, that we might be forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that it hasn't stopped there, but greater... More marvellous things you've continued to do in our lives and you've given us grace day by day and you will and your promise there says abundant grace, sufficient grace for every need. Help us, Lord, to trust you day by day to not be looking for our own resources but to cling to you and find your grace sufficient for us. Amen. We're going we're gonna to sing... 10,000 reasons. Look, there's...